So we have been uh, on this journey of testimony. How many of you guys are enjoying this journey of testimony? Hallelujah. It is so powerful, and, uh, and we've got some more today. And um, so, so I'm going to share a uh, short excerpt. But, uh, but first, uh, before I do that, I want to introduce to you someone lovely and beautiful and here for the very first time. Valerie, why don't you stand up? We want to welcome little Amelia. Woo! Look at that little treasure. Good night. You guys, you guys do it right. Those are beauties. Those are beauties. Oh my goodness. Dad didn't stand up because I only gave mom credit. I'm sorry, man. You know, it, it, it's totally, you know what it is? This is, this is gender inappropriate, isn't it? It's like, I didn't give you any credit. Dad's there supporting, loving, nothing, nothing, buddy. But Jesus will reward you. <laughs> you guys did a great job. Congratulations. Hallelujah. So we're on, uh, we're on this journey together on the testimony. And I, and I want to I wanna point out one thing uh, as, as we go into this. I'm going to share a scripture with you, and then I've got some fantastic uh, testimonies that, uh, that God has prepared for you. Um, but as you're listening to testimonies, just to give you a, a quick second of review, I want you to listen with an ear towards God. What you've done in this person's life, I need you to do in my life. The way that you've been faithful over here, Lord, I'm, I'm, I have that need here. And, and, and I want you to listen towards that. When somebody's sharing with something where you're going, I need to draw strength for living in that place, I want you to have your heart listening to say, Jesus Christ, if you've done that there, then I ask, Lord, that you would do it here. And I want you to draw from that strength. I want you to allow that testimony of Jesus Christ to begin to be your testimony, even if you haven't gotten the breakthrough yet. Did you guys know that you can borrow a testimony? Did you know that? Like when I'm, when I'm having uh, like money issues, and we've all had those, right? Do you know what I do? I just start telling everyone around me stories of times where other people have gotten breakthrough or past times where I've gotten breakthrough. Times when, you know what I'm saying? Like I'll actually go after any story I can remember where God was faithful about this thing. If I'm looking for healing, I just start sharing healing testimonies because I'm stirring up my own heart. I need emotional strength and I also need actual breakthrough. Are you guys with me? So I want you to, I want you to put that in your thinker <laughs> and I want you to see the world through that lens. I want, you to, I want you to let that be a filter for you that as you're listening to these things that what you're doing is you're gathering strength of what Christ has done here I need him to do that here. And, and you know what? The truth is, I know he loves me as much as he loves you. And so if he's, if he's carried you through, he's going to carry me through. If he's worked it to good for you, he's going to work to good for me. I don't know when, I don't know how, but I will. Amen? All right. Can you guys do that? Are you with that? All right. Awesome. Okay, so here we go. John chapter 3, uh, starting in verse, in verse 1. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if, if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Now this is a, such a wild beginning point. Okay, so Nicodemus is a good man, all right? He is doing his best. He loves God. He's following the Torah, which is the Old Testament. He's following those commands. He's going after it. And he's seeing Jesus. And Jesus is doing stuff that is wild. This is no secret. Jesus is gaining in, in steam. I mean, he's, he's, he's healing blind eyes. He's making water into wine. Let's just say law on that for a minute. 
He's healing lepers. There's all kinds of amazing things going on. And Nicodemus comes and he says, listen, no one could be doing this stuff unless God were with them. And then Jesus just comes right out of the gate and he says, Nicodemus, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. What's really interesting is that he's seeing the works of God and, and, and Jesus answers to say, you can't even see the kingdom unless you're born again. Now, we all have the advantage of living in a time, we live in, I mean, unfortunately, America at this point is a post-Christian nation, but we've grown up in a Christian nation, right? Let's, let's get it back to a Christian nation, but the point is, okay, but we've heard the term born again. How many of you have heard the term born again before? Right, you all know. You're like, born again. Oh, yeah, that's where, you know, you pray a prayer and Jesus comes in your heart and, uh, you know, then you follow him. So you're like, that's what, you know, born again equals that, right? How many of you just, your brain kind of does that? Yeah. Well, and, but, 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 but back up, put that aside for a minute. Here's Nicodemus coming and saying, you're doing these mighty works of God and it's incredible and I want you to, I want to understand what's happening. And Jesus speaks to him and says, oh, no problem, Nicodemus. All you need to do is be born again. My mother is sitting right here uh, and, hi mom, she is smaller than I am. She's smaller, I don't know how tall you are, but it's shorter than me. I am bigger than you. And, and Nicodemus is thinking of his mama in that moment. How can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asks. Surely, yeah, they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. He's, he's, he's thinking of this literally. And he's absolutely appropriate to think of that because what Jesus is saying, now this is wild too, Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. So he's telling him, now go to the next one. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Now, this is crazy. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. Can you imagine being Nicodemus? You're coming and saying, hey, listen, I really do believe you're from God. There's a lot of controversy. A lot of people don't like you, but I'm pretty sure you are from God. Now, teach me your ways. And Jesus goes, oh, no problem. You just need to be born again. And Nicodemus is going, what kind of craziness is this? I don't understand. And he says that. I don't even understand that. Like, and, he, and, and I'm, I'm going to give him some credit that he said, like, hey, what is he going to do? What are you going to do? Like, I mean, shoot, you grew a guy's legs out. You know, you're healing leprosy. Maybe you literally, like, shrink us down and our mom just drinks us and has us again. I don't know. How does it work? And Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm telling you that, you that what's born of flesh is flesh, but what's born of spirit is spirit. You've been born in the flesh, and I'm telling you, you need to be born in the spirit. Now, here's the wild part is he says, you shouldn't even be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. And so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things? Can you imagine poor Nicodemus? I mean, seriously, like, let's give the guy a break. Like, imagine yourself in his position, he came to Jesus to ask the questions. He's like, you don't even understand this, Nicodemus? Sometimes Jesus doesn't really cut us a break, huh? Sometimes we don't want to understand. And he goes right to the heart and goes, you don't know because you don't want to know. But he continues on. Let's go to the next one. He says, very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. So he starts going, he starts going straight into the heart of this matter and he's saying, Nicodemus, I'm the son of God. 
I'm speaking to you and I'm telling you, you should understand that you have to be born again. Now, I want you to understand this thing about Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a righteous man who's doing his absolute level best to fulfill all of the law and the prophets to please God. And Jesus is calling him out and saying, listen, Nicodemus, you're the teacher of Israel. You should understand at this point, having grown up, trying to earn your way to righteousness, trying to use the spiritual self-help program, you of all people should know that you need a savior. Nicodemus, you don't understand these things yet? Nicodemus, you've been trying to live by the law your whole life and you're doing a great job and you know it's not enough, don't you? Are you guys seeing that? And it's the truth for us. You see, tribe, we are not a self-help program. The Bride of Christ is not a group of people that prayed a prayer and learned a whole bunch of good rules and then started doing them. And then we're like, our testimony is, is not this. Our testimony is not like, Jesus came and he let me know that I wasn't very nice. And I said, you're right, I'm sorry. And then he goes, well, I forgive you. Here's the rules. And then I started doing the rules, guys. And you know what? My life changed and now I'm really, really nice. And you should do likewise. That is not your testimony. Your testimony is not that you're a better person. You are actually a better person, but that's not actually your testimony. You see, our testimony is this, and this is what Christ is getting to with Nicodemus, is he's saying, listen, the whole system that you're in right now where you would try to prove your own righteousness or try to apply a certain amount of laws or rules, all that the Old Testament is showing you is that you can't do it on your own. And in fact, you so can't do it on your own, you must be born again. You must die to everything that you used to be and be born again. And that's the testimony of Jesus Christ. It's not that, 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 the, that the old naughty you now became the new fun you. No, no. It's that the old, naughty, sinful, death-bent you died in Christ. And something new has come in Christ. And that's what Jesus is getting at. So what I, so I want to talk about here is he says, now we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you don't accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things you don't believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. This is so cool. Think about this. This is Jesus standing in front of Nicodemus. Now, we've all heard John 3.16. It's like the most famous saying ever, right? You see it at football games. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is standing in front of him saying this for the first time. For God so loved the world that he gave me that whoever would believe in me will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Aren't you guys glad that that's why he came? Not to condemn the world but to save the world. This is the testimony. Every one of us that has died with Christ and is born again, we're here saying, hey, good news. Jesus showed up and he didn't condemn me. That's a testimony because all your friends that know you are like, are you kidding me? That is a miracle. I condemn you and I'm friends with you. Let's go to the next one. <laughs> that was good. I liked that part. All right. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Stop. Just a minute. It doesn't say... Whoever believes in him 
is not condemned, but whoever does not believe, I condemn. It doesn't say that, does it? Here's what it says. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him stands condemned already. Here's what I want you to understand. God did not condemn you, nor does he condemn you, but there is an enemy that brought sin and death into the world, and we are all victims of that. Now, we, have, we may have been uh, agreeing in some, in some places, but what I want you to understand is that an enemy came in to kill and rob and steal and destroy, and we have all been affected by that. And God's saying, I didn't come to condemn you for that. I came to save you. You're already condemned. You've already been sold as a slave. You've already been robbed. You've already been ripped off. I'm here to say, I came to save you. And all that you need to do is to believe the message that I'm bringing, and it's simply this. If you want to save yourself, flesh will just beget more flesh. But if you want to be saved, then you must die to you being the Lord of your life, die to your self-help program, die to trying to become a better person. He doesn't want you to be a better person. He wants you to die with him so that you can become a new person. Are you with me? And he's saying this, I'm not condemning you. You're already condemned. Would you like to not be condemned? Would you not like to not be under that anymore? And he says, because you can believe in me. And he says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and won't come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is our testimony. You're going to hear some testimonies here in just one moment. And what I want you to understand that these testimonies you're going to hear and your own testimony, it's this. It's that Christ has been formed in me by my Father in heaven that the goodness of God has come and found me and I believed the one whom he sent, Jesus Christ. And when I surrendered my life and died with Christ, I was raised up as a new creation. And as I am that new creation, look at what Christ has done. He's made me into a new creation. Not, I am following a bunch of rules and look at what a good person I am. The world's trying to do that all the time. Isn't it really fun when you see those posts? Like, good person alert, you know? Hashtag pay it forward. Really? You're supposed to do that silently. What is that really? What is that really? I'm just trying to shut down my conscience because the truth is, I'm like Nicodemus. I know you're from God. So how, you know, teach me, teach me some secret wisdom, Lord. I'm into that. And he's going, no, here's the secret wisdom. You have to die. You have to die to your right to be right. You have to die to your right to define reality. You have to die to your, your, your self-righteous attempts to save yourself. Die to all those things and be made completely new with me. And my Father will form Christ in you. And when you boast, you know what you'll boast about? Look at what he has done. That's our testimony. And we can brag about that We can get all braggy about that because we're not bragging about what a good person I am. We're bragging about what a great God he is and that we have been the recipient of him saving us and working in our life. Amen? Amen. So here's the last, uh, that was it. Oh, here, yeah, here we go. Now, uh, and go ahead and come on up, Mom, Jason. Um, Revelation 12, 11 says this, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. This is the summation of all things, right? Of all of us that are walking with the Lord and it's talking about martyrs and all those. But here's the key. They overcame the enemy by the blood of the lamb. I just talked about that. That's Jesus, but there's one other thing. 
And the other way that we overcome is by the word of our testimony that we tell others, this is what God has done. And this is how we overcome when we're going through it, right? Some of us are facing battles right now. And you're just like, I don't even know. Like you barely got to church today. But as we stir up and hear that testimony, we talk about, wait a minute, here's what God has done. We begin to overcome. We begin to overcome. We begin to overcome. And I want you to listen to that. That's what he talked about at the beginning. I want you to listen to that because your testimony offers a hope for the world. And you overcome every, every battle you fight, every obstacle you face, you overcome as you share about what God has done what he is doing, and what he's going to do. Amen? So here we go. Here's some goodness right now. Well, I get the fun part because one of my favorite things is um, helping other people share their stories. And this woman has a story. I mean, she would have a story if it was only that one (laughs) that she raised. That would in itself be an accomplishment. She would be worthy of a standing ovation. But Lynn... (laughs) has, <laughs> and you were so nice to me too, I'm sorry, now I feel bad. Um, Lynn has uh, quite a story. Lynn, you grew up in the midst of the sexual revolution, um, and what, what was that like in your family? Well, for my family, uh, first of all, we were an atheist home. God was never mentioned, except every once in a while in a derisive way, but the atmosphere of our home in the name of art, was considered sexual freedom. There, was, um, there were stacks of Playboys in my father's office. My grandfather had all the Playboys from the very first that had ever been made, which my young sister and I, she's 18 months younger, we both had free access to our whole lives. And we would look at the cartoons when we were little, and then I would read the articles as I grew up. And so there was erotic statuary, pornographic literature, and the focus in our family was on physical beauty, which is really a deceptive thing if that's your highest value. You're pretty much, at least as a young girl, groomed to become promiscuous. And at 13, I lost my virginity to the older boy next door. And then when he moved on, I was heartbroken and I began just pretty much wildly dating anyone and there were no restrictions. As a matter of fact, the concept of Saving yourself for marriage was never, ever a part of my upbringing. It was never mentioned, never, never a thought in our minds. And so during this time, um, I met um, Alex at the beach. He, he became my, excuse me, I'll just not, not do that. I met Alex at the beach, and we, we started dating. We became intimate immediately, and um, we... Uh, moved in together as, as I graduated from high school. We lived together until he got drafted. And his first year in the Army, he was in Maryland. I was in Cal- Southern California. He uh, dated, I dated. We, we did not keep any kind of... I had an engagement ring on, but we didn't keep any kind of uh, faithfulness to one another. But still, after he'd been in the Army for a year, he came back and married me. And um, we did our best truly given all the things against us to make our marriage work. But when you, he too had a very, very confusing upbringing, very different from mine. There was, there was religion, but it was religion like God's going to get you anytime you do anything wrong. So he'd run far the other way. So he had that. And um, I had no sense whatsoever of God. And we both had all this wounding and acting out and now we're trying to be married and when the culture that you've been raised with is physical beauty being the number one 
factor that is your value, how do you settle into being married to one man and be satisfied? I had no grit for that. And so I was unfaithful and he was unfaithful even after we got married. So when I got a job at an advertising agency, um, that was a pretty wild scene. And, and I found myself staying after work and dancing and coming home late. And he had also been doing things. And so I thought, I should just move out, live on my own. That'll be a lot less pain and even more fun. And so I did. And so I lived alone for eight months and um, was very a wild partier. And uh, one, one evening, three girlfriends and I went to see Fiddler on the Roof. And as the movie was unfolding, I just found this ache in my heart that I just, I was like starting to weep, like, I want what I see there. I want family. I want to belong and be faithful. I want to have children. I want to create a legacy. I want everything I see here. And uh, I, it was a, like a heap of just puddle of sobs when, when it was over. And my girlfriends are like, what is going on? I'm, I'm like, I can't even explain. I've got to call Alex. So I went home and I called him and I said, Alex, I'd really like to try to give our marriage another chance if you're willing. And he and was Lynn, willing. How long had you been married at that time? Three years. Three years, and so you'd been apart for, for eight, eight months. months. Oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. So, so you called him, and, and did, how did he respond? Um, it was one in the morning. I let the phone ring until he picked it up, and I said, I just really want us to give, have another chance. I think we love each other, and he said, I love you too. I want to try to. So we got back together, and we bought a home, and we went on to have two children, and we, we tried to succeed in this marriage, but we had no tools to work with at all to overcome, again, the pain that was in our hearts and the suspicion. I mean, I'd fall apart every time he got dressed up at an inopportune moment. I'd be sure he was going somewhere, and unfortunately, sometimes he was. And, and uh, after trying to make it work for four years, we thought we need to just go ahead and get a divorce. But we decided to take one last road trip because road trips were like our time to really come together and enjoy one another without a lot of distractions. And you had had two kids by that point. We had. We had Autumn and Josh. Josh was 13 months and Autumn was three. And um, so we went to Farmington, New Mexico, which was his hometown that we had visited and loved. And so we were walking down Main Street and I, I just turned to Alex and I said, we need to get a Bible. And he's like, well, what you, where'd that come from? I said, I don't know, but we need to get a Bible. And, and he's like, okay. And I said, where do you get a Bible? <laughs> and, and he goes, well, there's a bookstore right there. Let's go ask them. So I went in and sheepishly, I'm like, do you sell Bibles? And he's like, of course. And he took me to the back. This was 1978. It's kind of a bestseller. Yeah. So that's yeah. <laughs> I had never opened one or looked at one. <laughs> and so he took me to the back and there were, I, they pretty much were, I think, all King James. I picked one with a brown leather cover and I, as I was holding it, I was like excited. Like I had this throbbing inside of me like something's going to happen. And I, we went and got in the car. We, were, we had a trailer. We were camping and um, we headed to our campsite and I, I read Genesis 1 out loud and I'm like, Alex, there is a God. Did you know that? There is a God. He said, yeah, I think I knew that. And I said, so I read chapter 2 to us, and I said, he made marriage. We're not in this by ourselves. He made it. 
He can help us. We don't have to do this all alone. And in that moment, I threw myself into God's arms. I knew without a doubt that he existed and that he had not only created everything that I love, the countryside, the animals, my family, everything. He created me and he designed marriage and I, I knew he was going to make it work, right? I felt like I knew. <laughs> so we quickly went, we found a home up in the mountains. We were, we were camping and we'd gone to our, our property that we owned in Northern California from New Mexico. Um, and we camped there and I told God, if you want our marriage to work, help us to sell our home in Southern California and come up here. And I was taking a walk in the morning, and there was a double-wide mobile for sale, and we put a bid on it hinging on selling our house, which sold in a month, which during that time it was not, that houses weren't moving that quickly. And so we moved up there, and I continued reading the Bible out loud whenever I could, and then to myself, because I was just like, I just had to get this inside of me. These were words of life that I had been longing for all my life. I used to look in a mirror in my own eyes and think, what's the point of my life? Why am I here? What's the purpose? And now I was finding out that I was created by a God intentionally. And so, um, let's see. Uh, you, you had read through the Gospels. Right, what I, happened well, when yeah, you read through okay, the Gospels? Yeah, I started with the Old Testament. Right. Loved Proverbs because they were such amazing wisdom for doing life. And then I got to the Gospels one day. I was sitting and I, I read all four of them all through. And I just sobbed as I saw not only his kindness and his mercy to each of us, but then his sacrifice for me even though, oh, I forgot to say a really important thing. I had three abortions in my, those early teen years. And so uh, as I came to God, even before I read those Gospels, I was so ashamed and, and I could not reconcile what I had done. And he told me that I did what I did in ignorance and that he would show me a better way. And so then as I'm going through these Gospels of what Jesus did do for us and that I knew he had forgiven me and that he would show me how to forgive myself because I had destroyed three lives just out of pure selfishness. And um, as I read those gospels, everything that had been kind of niggling at me because the Old Testament's pretty powerful with a lot of sense of, oh my gosh, I'll never measure up. I think it's pretty cool really that God took me to the Old Testament first because I have a lot of compassion for people who get stuck there. And uh, it took me a while to believe him that I really was forgiven for some things because of that. But in, the, in another way, I knew he had forgiven me for my lifestyle. I knew he had a whole new plan. I knew he had a purpose for my life. I knew he valued me as a woman, as a daughter, as a wife, as a mother. And I knew that I would never betray my marriage vows. I knew that this was something sacred between God and Alex and me. And in the mornings, I used to um, go and walk in the forest where we lived and sing Christmas carols because those were, so far I hadn't found a church as I'm reading the Bible. So those were the only songs I knew, but they finally made sense. I didn't, I used to love them as a child and they would make my heart ache, but I didn't know a lot of what the words meant. They just made no sense to me. And they suddenly made perfect sense. Oh, Holy Night was my most favorite of all. So my story... It has amazing, wonderful, awesome, incredible 
victories. It also has what I consider a great sadness in that Alex chose not to continue on with the Lord. And after 27 years of marriage, uh, when he went to his mother's deathbed, he chose to not come back to the kids of me. And at that time, I had still seven at home, an 18-month-old to a 16-year-old. And uh, I just cried out to God, what will I do? What shall I do? Well, we lived in a tiny town of 600 people, and I was homeschooling. And God told me in my heart, read Isaiah 54. And I saw there, he said, I'll be your husband, and all your children will be taught of the Lord, and what great will be the peace of your children. And he has fulfilled that. And I have 10 amazing grown children who all love God, and I have their, their spouses who've come into the family who love God, and then 15 grandchildren. I can't claim the little ones yet, but the ones who've made a choice know God. <laughs> so I just thank God for his faithfulness, even when I didn't get the happy ending I pictured. But my life hasn't ended, of course. He is faithful today and every day, and I consider myself one who was forgiven much and who loves much. Amen. Thank you, Lynn. All right. That was part, well, that was really part two. That was beautiful. Man, oh, man. Gonzalo and Alaire, where are you guys? Oh, there you are. You're right in front of me. Here we go. Gonzalo and Alaire. I love, love hearing the stories that you guys have, and I love um, this whole stretch that we're doing because when we just meet each other, we don't know the battles that we faced, and we don't know where God's taken us, um, and then you see it, and you hear it, and you think, wow, and then that adds to our faith. So when you see this couple, you think, wow, this is a wonderful couple. Like, these guys are solid, and they're strong, and they're faithful, and, and this man, like, Wow, he's so caring and so peaceful. And you find out where he came from and you hear this story and then you're just like, wow. Gonzalo, tell us about your growing up. Hello. Okay. I'm live. You're live. So I grew up in the San Fernando Valley in Southern California, uh, in the city of Pacoima, uh, with a single mom and five children. My father abandoned us when I was four. Uh, I grew up with a tremendous amount of physical abuse in my home. I went through sexual abuse, emotional abuse, uh, just complete chaotic environment as a child. Uh, as I got older, uh, I started working at the age of five to help my mom pay the bills. Uh, as I got older, I got into gangs, drugs, drug dealing, uh, committing crimes, just everything that came with the street lifestyle uh, as a teenager. Uh, when I was uh, 15, my, uh, my oldest brother, which he was like my father figure, he uh, caught a murder case and he was convicted to life and uh, we decided to uh, leave Southern California and my mom relocated us to Nebraska. Uh, at that point, I decided to live on my own. I was 15 and uh, that's when I got really bad with uh, just drugs and gangs and I came back to the, to the West Coast, California and back to Oregon. And uh, that's when I met my wife in the midst of all that chaos at 17. Uh, she, she just rescued you because she was so together, <laughs> right? Uh, no. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, she came from a similar background. Uh, 
was into the same things I was in. Uh, even though uh, our children did change her, uh, I was so broken that uh, nothing, including my children, uh, my own life, my wife, was enough for me to change. I continued uh, with what I was doing. Uh, in 2011, we decided to leave Oregon. No, 2001, we decided to leave Oregon uh, to go to Texas because we were gonna start a new beginning, leave everything behind. Everyone we knew here was involved in some way with what we were into, uh, but we took that mess with us. Uh, when we, you say that mess, you're talking about just the addictions and all of that? All of that, and even though we worked through, Alera stopped before any of that, but even though I was working through all that, I just replaced it with careers, success, business. Uh, those became my idols. Those became my gods. Uh, doing all this on my own, and uh, we became business owners. We bought property. Alera climbed the corporate ladder at Wells Fargo. Uh, we were doing good by society's standards, but I was more empty than when I was in the streets. Uh, in my late 20s, I got hit with depression. I was clean and sober for a while, and I, uh, I just became this unrecognizable person. Uh, I was manic depressant, I was suicidal. Uh, I didn't understand what was going on, and it was definitely the darkest part of my life. This is a fascinating part to me of your story is that you had been dealing with drug addiction and with alcoholism. And so you pulled out of that, mm -hmm. you put that stuff away, but then there was this big empty space. And mm -hmm. so depression, it seems sort of stepped into that. Yes. So what happened to your life as the depression hit? So believe it or not, uh, I destroyed everything that I had worked for, business, my marriage, my every relationship with friends, family, everything was completely destroyed. I just, I, I became this person that I, I didn't even recognize. So uh, in 2011, my wife decided to leave. Let's, yeah, let's, let's let her, oh, sorry. Let's, yeah, one, go one for more it. Thing. Yep. Uh, at the time, I didn't understand how could she do this, but knowing what I know now, it's like, how could she wait so long? So that, that, that's just a little insight on me, sober. And when I mean sober, I don't mean substance. I mean spiritually sober, awakened, knowing the reality of uh, what we were in. Yeah. So you did wait a long time. You had a lot of patience, but it, you had reached the end. What did you do? Yeah. Um, in 2011, I, you know, enough was enough. I just, I knew that if I didn't stop this cycle, it was gonna be detrimental to our kids. And, and I have to say at the time, we were going to church, but we were such hypocrites. We were exactly what we said we would never be. We'd go to church on Sunday and we'd come home and we'd throw things at each other and we'd fight and, and our kids would just see this home that was so unhealthy, yet, we were still trying. We were, at least we were going to church, but that was all I knew was to go to church. I didn't know what a relationship truly was. And so I decided that was it, and I, I packed up my bags, and I literally packed actually my kids' stuff and only had the clothes on my back, and I loaded up the van, my sister and I did, and we drove to Oregon. And I did not stop. I did not call him or tell him that I was leaving until I was far enough away to where I knew he couldn't follow me. Because I, 
I was done. I had no interest in even trying to make this work again. I was, I was ready to just sign the divorce papers. And um, it was at that moment that I actually truly surrendered my life to the Lord because I, was, I knew that I knew that without God, I would not successfully raise my five kids. I knew that I needed a daddy and I knew that I needed a husband. And he was the only one that was going to fulfill that. And I didn't know why I knew that, but something deep down inside me told me that. And so the first thing I did was find a church. The first thing was, was to find a church. So you're undergoing a, a healing process in your own life. You're worried that he might commit suicide in this process. Yeah, I, I remember... When I left Texas, he was manic depressant. He would have ups and he would stay up literally for days. He would have lows and he'd sleep for days. He'd fall asleep driving at a stop site because he was so manic depressant. And I remember driving from Texas to Oregon and I thought, this is it. He's gonna take his life because our family is everything to him, even though he didn't know how to love us and even though we fought and I knew he loved his kids and I really knew he loved me. I mean, I knew that, but we just couldn't continue. So I honestly did not think that he would make it. And uh, going back to you, Gonzalo, um, a, a two weeks had gone by, you got very, very low mm -hmm. and that fear turned out to be a very valid fear. What happened that, that night at two weeks later? So uh, those two weeks were definitely, uh, I, I picture it as the enemy working overtime to assist me in taking my life. Uh, there was multiple scenarios where uh, I was presented with different things. I, it was this one day I had my, my gun, my pistol in my room, and uh, I found a syringe. When I was using, I never used syringes. I smoked or snort. Uh, and I found a brand new syringe. Uh, old customer of mine swings by, gives me a bag with my favorite drug, which was meth. Uh, so I contemplated overdosing. He gave me multiple choice on how to do it. Uh, but the Holy Spirit came upon me that night and he put me in his sleep. He gave me rest. And uh, the next day I went to the Spiritual Growth Center. Uh, which is a program in San Antonio that helps rebuild men. And uh, yeah, that's where I'm It's I like a 90-day live-in kind of program, it's right? It's a 90-day, uh, 6 a.m. Uh, Stephen knows he went to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. Uh, just grinding on getting to know your daddy. And it's, uh, that's where I met love. That's where I, uh, I truly learned what love was. And uh, in that place, he delivered me. He overnight delivered me of depression. I have not been depressed since August of 2011. Not once. They just, they just prayed for you and it left. Uh, yes. Uh, Amazing. One, one of our pastors asked me if I was ready to uh, be delivered from that. And I told him, absolutely, uh, I, I, this is not who I am. I was never depressed as a child or a teenager. And yeah, he prayed for me and I woke up the next morning and something, the joy of the, of the Lord had entered my heart and he, uh, he literally replaced my heart with a heart of flesh. 
And uh, he delivered me from multiple things while I was there. Uh, everything from, I was a liar, habitual liar, uh, lust, just, it goes on and on and on and on. Just, he did a, a work in me while I was there. He's like relentless, huh? He oh, kept yeah, like yeah. showing up at these places. Oh, yeah. I, I would even go as far as, I grew up in a Mexican community in Southern California. Uh, we didn't get along with, with African-American men. So I had this bias against my brothers just from my upraising. And he puts me in a place with 95% African-American men. Uh, so that was broken immediately. And uh, it was just beautiful, just amazing how God uh, used that season of my life to, uh, to change me. So you're going through this transformation. Then finally, you come to the end of that. The man prayed over you and he prophesied. What did he say? Uh, our bishop prophesied that uh, I will, my marriage would be healed quickly, that it was time for me to go. Uh, I, I, the Lord has spoken to that to me personally, that it was time for me to go. So I, uh, I packed up some clothes and left everything behind, got on a bus with $300 in my pocket and headed to Oregon to uh, start a new adventure. And Alaire wasn't particularly thrilled uh, no. about this. No, she was not. <laughs> Alaire, you, you picked him up. You had, to say you had mixed feelings would be an understatement. What happened? Yeah, I, I think a part of me always knew he would come because, again, he has always loved his kids and adored his kids. So, so a part of me knew that, but I was having nothing to do with it. I, I even told him one time, when you call, don't call to talk to me because if I had the money... I'd file for divorce. The only reason I haven't is because I don't have the money. So call to talk to your kids. I, I wanted nothing to do with him. And that day when he came, Rosa had invited him to a volleyball game. And um, I was going to do everything in my power to make sure that he still had a relationship with his kids as long as he was healthy. I was not going to get in the way of that. So I offered to go pick him up because he had $300 in a backpack. He had nothing. So I offered to pick him up. And the day I picked him up, I remember getting to the restaurant where he was waiting for me, and I remember looking at him, and my spirit knew that he was a changed man. My spirit knew that God had taken control of him. And I'd like to tell you that that was great, and I loved that, and that made me so happy, but it made me so angry. I'm serious. It made me angry with God. I'm like, are you kidding me? After all of this, after ripping my kids out of their home, after having to do this on my own, after, after all of it, now you're going to change him? Now you're going to make him the man that I've always wanted? Like really after I'm done with him? Seriously, that, that, I was so angry with God. And he had asked us, um, he wanted to be around his kids as much as possible. And he had asked us if he could come to church where we went to church and of course, yes, you can. Um, and I was so confused. I, I was so confused as to what was happening that one day I remember being at the altar and I was like, God, why? Why now? Why did you have to do this like this now? Why did I have to rip my kids out of their home? And the Lord said, I have answered your prayers. Take your husband. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I wept. I literally was on my knees on the floor, sobbing at the altar. And I knew, and, and it was so hard because what is my friends going to think? What are my family going to think? What is everybody going to think? But it was like, you know, it didn't look the way I wanted it to look. And it doesn't always look the way we want it to or plan out the way we expect. His ways are so much higher than ours. And all things work out for his good. And we just have to remember that. Mm -hmm. so I, Thank I, you, Lord. <laughs> So I, I just want to encourage uh, everybody, I just want to share something that's been on my heart uh, that God spoke to me recently, and I believe it's for, for someone in here. Uh, there is no wound too deep that God cannot heal. And when he heals, scars don't remain. And there is no person or situation too broken that he can't restore. Uh, we serve a God that creates as he speaks. That is the power of God's goodness. So I just want to encourage you to, uh, in whatever place of hopelessness that you're in, seek him. He's waiting for you for, to embrace you. Uh, my wife's going to read something that uh, my oldest, uh, well, going back, we were always concerned. My oldest daughter, Rosa, and Yeye, uh, they saw a lot of stuff that no kid should see and uh, just a lot of chaos, just like I did when I was younger. And uh, Rosa wrote something earlier this year that really touched my heart and uh, it wraps up our past, our present, and our future. So I, I, Larry's going to read this for you guys. Yeah, I think that was my, I knew God had restored us. I knew God had done and was, is still to this day doing a good work in us. And, and, um, but you always as a mother and a father, like, what about our kids? You know, how is this going to look for them? How are they going to turn out? Like, are they going to be able to survive the crazy that we put them through? And I can say honestly today, like, God's goodness, he's so good. My oldest, who probably witnessed, well, did, in fact, witness the most, is an amazing woman of God. She was able to see the work that God did in our lives and turn her heart to him. And now she's engaged to an amazing man of God. <laughs> like, really? What? That's God. That's his goodness. He turns all things for his good. So I'm going to read you this poem that, that, she, that she wrote. She's an amazing writer, by the way. Not very many people know that. I, have the, I am the prodigy of a bloodline whose lacerated bodies drip with sorrow. We are the ones who were seduced by the slithering snake, who turned the garden into a desolate land, whose trees bear fruit that are withered and bitter. The chains we are bound by seep deeper into our skin with every generation that is birthed. We are the heirs to the throne of addiction, violence, poverty, and adversity. Our calloused hands crack under the burning sun, only for our labor to be compensated by a single drop of honey that leaves us even more shriveled and grave-bound. Our eternity is but a fiery pit that, will forever try to, that we will forever try to claw out of. As generations deepen their roots, 
absorbing the toxicities of the land, the branches continually to become more twisted and perverse. This is who we were. This, this was our legacy that we were carrying on. To rewrite the script of our destiny would take but one noble man to finally turn his eyes towards the high mountaintop and lead the way towards a peace never known before. Joy would invade our bodies and sorrow would be commanded to flee. The generational curses that once enslaved us would be to return back to the serpent that once enticed us. Our hearts would be turned towards an everlasting name, an everlasting love, and the name of Jesus would disintegrate the titanium shackles bound around our necks. Our souls would transform into a flowering bud, breathing life into those still burdened. Milk and honey will flood our shriveled bodies, ripening even the most inconceivable of men. And the springs of living water will flow through our veins, overflow, and saturate this barren earth. A new land, a, a new bright right, a birthright, a beautiful serenity. This is the legacy we are living in now. The worship team, the worship team is going to make their way up here. Uh, stay here. Um, today is Baptism Sunday. We have at least one baptism, and you've heard two powerful, really, well, at least two, maybe three powerful stories of the transformation of the Lord. Um, if you want to get baptized this morning, that's what baptism is all about. It's about going under. It's about declaring ourselves dead and alive in Christ. And uh, if you would like to hey, you don't got clothes, that's all right. Just come right on in. Just, we'll dunk you just as you are. And uh, uh, Pastor Joshua is going to be back there. Uh, and in the meantime, I want to have Gonzalo pray over us and, and just let's, let's give that offer for new life. So Father God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that you're a God that restores, Father. We thank you that you're a God that creates something out of nothing, Lord. And Father, I pray for each and every person, Lord, that's going through hardship right now. I pray, Lord, that you restore them, Father, that you embrace them like never before, that you show your face to them in a way that it's undeniable, Lord. And I thank you, Father, for your goodness in Jesus' name. Uh, I would like to invite everyone, uh, if you can put your hand over your heart and just repeat after me. Father, please forgive me for all my sins, the ones I know and the ones I don't. Wash and cleanse me with your precious blood and don't let me or my family miss heaven. I love you guys. Amen.